Aloha and welcome to Evidence and Answers. I'm Tony Solis alongside with your host, Pat Zucaran. How are you doing, Pat? Hey, doing great, Tony. And we've got a great guest on our show asking some really tough questions today. Yeah, and he'll be coming up shortly. Uh, but before we get into Kirby Anderson, you know, let's talk a little story here, Pat. Um, you know, a very sensitive topic that we're discussing about homosexuality. Let's just start off plainly. What does the Bible say about homosexuality? Is homosexuality a sin? You know, Tony, the Bible is pretty clear on that. We've got passages in the Old Testament, but one of the clearest one is in the New Testament, Romans chapter 1, verse 21. Paul says, For although they knew God, they did not honor Him as God or give thanks to Him, but they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of God for images resembling mortal men and birds and animals and creeping things. Then verse 24, Therefore God gave them up in their lusts of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, because they exchanged the truth of God for a lie, and worshiped and served the creature rather than the Creator, who is blessed forever. For this reason God gave them up to dishonorable passions. For their women exchange natural relations for those that are contrary to nature. And the men likewise gave up natural relations with women and were consumed with passion for one another, men committing shameless acts with men and receiving in themselves the due penalty for their error. So here Tony makes it pretty clear in Romans chapter 1. Natural relations, men with women. Mm -hmm. Unnatural relations, women with women, men with men. And Paul says here that God gave them over to their sin, mm -hmm, or mm -hmm. as it states here in the English Standard Version, dishonorable passions. And so Romans chapter 1 is one of the clearest that states homosexuality is indeed a sin. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Now, if you want to look at Old Testament, in Leviticus 18.22, it says, Do not lie with a man as one lies with a woman that is detestable. So that right there is a, another plain right in your face scripture that tells you that, yes, indeed, homosexuality is a sin. And that's what the Bible does say about it. And again, not coming from our own opinions. But, you know, um, Pat, how should we approach this debate? You know, I've seen um, Christians or so-called Christians on, on corners, you know, at the state capitol, waving signs uh, that say, um, God hates gay people. Um, you know, gay people will burn in hell. I mean, what is the right approach? Yes, Tony, that's unfortunate that some people would approach it that way. You know, and that's also not the wisest way to approach this whole thing. You know, in this debate, Tony, there's three groups here. One group are those in the gay lifestyle who can be very militant about it. And then you have the other side which are those who stand in strong opposition to it and they can also be very obnoxious in their approach and holding signs like that and being angry and voicing hostile messages like that doesn't really do anyone a favor and those who are in the middle who are questioning they're watching both sides and when they see the opposition or, or Christians with such hostility and anger well that turns them off from receiving the message of the gospel and so Tony in all things we want to be loving in our approach you know God loves those who struggle with homosexuality you know you and I have friends 
who mm-hmm. are in the gay community. And mm-hmm. it is our desire to reach them with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so, Tony, we've got to use a lot of wisdom in approaching this whole debate. Jesus said to be wise as serpents and innocent as doves. And so in the public arenas, such as in the government arena or sometimes in the academic arena where biblical authority is rejected, instead of just quoting the Bible, which may turn off a lot of people, sometimes, Tony, you've got to argue to the Bible. In other words, all truth is God's truth, and truth eventually points to God's truth and to God himself, because God by his very nature is truth. So sometimes you've got to argue to God's word. What I mean is this, instead of quoting the Bible right away, often the best place to start with those who reject biblical authority is to give good medical reasons why you stand against homosexuality. Mm -hmm. And there's good medical research out there that shows homosexuality is a dangerous lifestyle. You know, the act of sodomy uh, is very harmful to the male physical body. Research has shown that as a result, you know, STDs proliferate amongst the gay community, but also the average age of death of homosexual males is in their mid to late 40s, Mm. much earlier. And so you can argue this medically. It's a very dangerous lifestyle. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Also, you can argue this sociologically and economically and legally. You know, how do you define marriage? Once you begin to redefine marriage, you know, uh, if you grab Webster's Dictionary or any dictionary and you look at the word marriage, what does it mean? Between It means a covenant between a man and a woman. Mm-hmm. Well, once you change that now, how are you defining marriage? Why is it just one man and one man? Mm-hmm. Why not two men or three men mm-hmm. or three mm-hmm. women? Yeah, the, the, the dynamics have just changed. Right. So you can also argue this philosophically and legally. And there are also sociological and economic ramifications as well. Studies have shown that each family needs to have on average about two and a half children per family to sustain the workforce that is out there and also those who are retiring Mm -hmm. as well. Now in countries, especially in Europe, where there is a uh, very liberal laws on homosexuality, abortion, and domestic partnerships, you know, those work against having healthy families. Mm-hmm. And as a result, in many of these countries, the average birth rate is per family is about 1.8 children per family. Mm-hmm. Well, what's happening in these countries? For example, the Danes, you know, and in France, what's happening there? Well, they don't have a large enough workforce to sustain the population. So what do they have to do? Well, they need to import their workers. And where are their workers coming from? A lot of them are coming from the Muslim countries of Africa and the Middle East. And as a result, both countries are in danger of losing their identity. In fact, in France, we know statistics show one out of every three children born are Muslims. And Mm -hmm. so the French president is encouraging families there to have children. And so you see there's sociological, economic, there's medical reasons why we should stand against homosexuality. And then once you present your case in that way, then you can present what the Bible says Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and it's often much better received when you do it that way so often you know Tony you want to argue to the Bible Mm -hmm, instead of mm -hmm. quoting the Bible right away 
Now, you know, uh, before we bring on Kirby on the show, I got one more question to ask you, and this is more on a, a personal level, meaning how do we respond to uh, those in our family, our friends um, that lead the homosexual lifestyle? How do I respond when someone in, in my life tells me that he or, or she is gay? Well, Tony, that's a great question, you know, and you want to be sensitive to that person. You know, they're struggling. Perhaps they may be convicted. You know, mm -hmm. Romans chapter 2 talks about the moral law of God within each one of us. Mm -hmm. And so they, they may be struggling with what is going on within them here. And so you want to be sensitive mm -hmm. as you present the truth here. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. Tony, you know, I would simply listen to the man's story. Uh, as Kirby has shared, you know, there is a pattern in which people enter into the gay lifestyle. Mm -hmm. And uh, Kirby will... Uh, articulate that later on in the show but to listen to their story and to know that uh, you're extending to them your love your understanding uh, your sympathy with their struggle that they're mm -hmm. having here and then in a loving way present the truth of God's Word here you know we don't want to compromise the truth sometimes the most loving thing you can do is to present the truth and to help them change their lifestyle okay, from an unhealthy homosexual lifestyle to a healthy biblical kind of lifestyle that not only goes for homosexuals but those involved in pornography promiscuity in drugs whatever it may be you know you care about them because it's a dangerous lifestyle and tony people can change you know first corinthians chapter 6 verse 9 makes that clear that homosexuals can change mm -hmm. and there's testimonies of thousands of gays who have come out of that lifestyle and are living healthy biblical lifestyles now uh, exodus international hope international those are great websites mm -hmm. to go to to uh, hear testimony of how men and women came out of the gay lifestyle and in mm -hmm. fact on evidenceandanswers.org you can listen to an interview with the former president of hope international uh, he shares his story of how he was able to leave the gay lifestyle. Mm, very interesting. You know, as we bring on our guest now, of course, Kirby Anderson, uh, the author of A Biblical Point of View on Homosexuality. Now, I know we ended the show with that one question last week that we needed to answer this week. Is it possible to be a gay Christian? Oh, sure. I mean, one of the things that we try to emphasize so often is that a person can be a Christian and still struggle with temptation. What I want to do very quickly in this debate, because again, people haven't thought through in logical categories, is there a difference between homosexual temptation and homosexual sin? And the answer is yes. Is there a difference between temptation and sin? Well, of course. Was Jesus tempted? Yes. Did Jesus sin? No. Okay, so we want to make, first of all, a distinction of temptation and sin. So, let's say that a person becomes a Christian, and they've accepted Jesus Christ, but they still feel those temptations. Mm -hmm. Now, I do know, Pat, of individuals that have uh, become a Christian, and the moment they become a Christian, some of the temptations they dealt with, temptations of pornography, temptations of alcoholism, temptations of homosexuality, vanish. But those are very, very few individuals. In most cases, we recognize that even though we have accepted Jesus Christ, 
we still feel some of those temptations. And even the Apostle Paul talks about the wretched man that I am. You know, I do the very thing that I hate. But there does seem to be that if indeed a person is truly saved, if they are regenerated, then they're going to want to change the behavior. And think about what it says in 1 Corinthians 6, where here, Paul, writing to the church in Corinth, gives us all sorts of various sinful activities, and then what does he send at the end? As such were some of you. So I think we have to be careful in which we will, on the one hand, say that uh, the issue of homosexuality is not a salvation issue, but at the same time, if a person feels no different and actually continues to practice homosexuality, and doesn't have a sense of remorse, doesn't have a desire to please God, then we have to come back to the issue of salvation. So is it possible for a Christian to have homosexual temptations? Yes, because it's possible for a Christian to have heterosexual temptations, right? Mm -hmm. But if indeed a person continues to practice that and has no sense of remorse, then I have to question whether or not they've really been saved, because ultimately an individual who has accepted Jesus Christ and Savior and Lord would certainly want to please the Lord and thus begin to deal with that. Now, does that mean that dealing with that temptation is easy? No, I would have to say that the sexual sins are probably some of the most uh, difficult, I use the phrase in my book, besetting sins, because after all, we do now know from all sorts of brain scans and various kinds of research to show that there are things that happen to our brain hormones when we're involved sexually with an individual, both heterosexuals and homosexuals, that makes it difficult to, to break that. That's why sexual addiction, for even heterosexuals, is a difficult addiction to break. Likewise, homosexuality, a person that's been practicing it for some time, will have very significant difficulty in changing the behavior because of the way in which it develops and sets memories and patterns in our brains. But does that mean that uh, we can't change? No, there's a whole section of in my book about the fact that homosexuals can indeed change their behavior and ultimately their orientation, but it is a difficult process, obviously. Now, you know, many homosexuals claim, I've never asked for these feelings. You know, my, um, my father's sister is, is a lesbian. Growing up, my grandparents were, were so against her lifestyle. Um, and it finally came to a, well, I guess a stop when she addressed it saying, I didn't ask to be this way. This is not what I wanted, but this is what it is. Now, what are your thoughts on that? Well, again, I have a whole chapter there on the causes of homosexuality. Now, well, first of all, let me set the ground rules. Human sexuality is very complex. There is no one-size-fits-all answer. And like you, I've run into all sorts of individuals over the years that have said, look, I didn't ask for these feelings, but these are the feelings that I have. But again, the question is, was I born with it? Well, every study that I've ever looked at that attempts to try to come up with a biological basis for homosexuality has really found wanting. And I take on the three major studies that you most often hear from gay activists and try to set those in some context. But what about this? You know, I have these feelings. Where do those feelings come from? Well, I recognize, first of all, that we live in a fallen world. And just because it feels right or just because it uh, is a feeling that I have doesn't necessarily mean that it's right. You know, how can it be so wrong when it feels so right? You know, Debbie Boone's uh, song. Mm -hmm. uh, well, I hate to say it, you know, it can feel real right to people that are engaged in gross sin. And um, that still doesn't make it right. 
Those feelings come oftentimes from all sorts of issues, and in my book I spend some time talking about some of the psychological causes of homosexuality, some of the spiritual causes, and again, there's no one-size-fits-all answer, but it is intriguing that um, if you look, let's for a moment focus on male homosexuals, there was a pattern that was identified early on by Sigmund Freud, and it was the triadic pattern that he talks about. That is, he found that in his study of male homosexuals, almost all of them came from a situation which you had in a passive or absent father and a domineering mother, and it was a kind of a triadic relationship. Now, I don't say that that explains every male homosexual circumstance, but as you go through with the literature, you see a tremendous number that fit that category. You look at also the number that had their first sexual experience at a very young age, either forced upon them because of abuse or because of sexual experimentation at that time. They were close to the same gender and they had sexual experiences. They tended to look in that direction. When you get to the female homosexuals or the lesbians, a little different. I have some chapters in the book as well, some sections that talk about that in terms of uh, some of the family patterns as well. But again, I would recognize that uh, we have to be very careful, especially in the church, of saying, well, homosexuality is a choice. I've had a lot of people say, it's no choice. You think I would choose this? Mm. I've been ostracized by my friends. I've been made fun of in the school. Would you think I chose that? Well, when we talk about choice, we don't mean that somebody just sat down at the age of three and said, okay, I think I'm going to be a lesbian. Or, mm -hmm. you know, at the age of five, I think I'll be a male homosexual. No, that's not what we're saying. But, and results of biological issues, hormonal issues, family issues, family dynamics, uh, choosing the path of least pain, choosing a path of uh, affirmation, yes, but not necessarily sitting down in a conscious way to choose that, but in a sense because of the circumstances that played themselves out, a person finds themselves having those feelings, and here now is where it becomes self-fulfilling prophecy. We talked last time about many of these schools that have these gay, lesbian, straight clubs. Mm -hmm. And now, if individuals have those feelings, then there is a political agenda that says, well, if you have same-sex attraction, it must mean you're a homosexual. And then they act upon that and then begin to say, well, then I really was. Mm. So it becomes, at that point, I believe, a self-fulfilling prophecy where because you have those feelings, that then validates that, and people act upon it, and that's why I suspect that you're seeing, perhaps in this next generation, an even higher percentage of those who will call themselves homosexuals simply because they have been encouraged by a culture to act upon those particular feelings, whereas in previous generations, people were just simply not as supportive or even perhaps as persuasive to act upon those. You know, Kirby, I've been in some Christian circles of some very influential Christians, especially those involved in government and politics, and some of them hang their head down and say, you know, on this issue of gay marriage, we may have to concede that we're going to lose this debate. Have you sensed that sentiment, and what can you say about it? Well, I have to say, first of all, that decision ultimately is going to be in the hands of nine Supreme Court justices, because think about this for just a minute. I mean, really, Pat and Tony, you got to think about where we have our circumstances just at this moment. You have a number of states that have same-sex marriage. They're in the Northeast primarily, but also Iowa and California is kind of the question mark because of Proposition 8 in the case. See where it goes in Hawaii and a few others. And then you have more than 30 states that have passed state constitutional amendments that define marriage between a man and a woman. So you have a divided country. 
Now, you can have a divided country for a while, but sooner or later, the Supreme Court's going to have to make sense out of it. You can have different tax laws. You know, you have some states that have an income tax. Some states have a sales tax. Some have a property tax. Some have all three. Some have variations of that. And the market can sort that out. But you can't have a situation where a person is married in Massachusetts and then moves to California or to Texas and then all of a sudden is not married under those state laws. I mean, it just is crazy. Hmm. And so one of the reasons you had originally the Defense of Marriage Act was to say that the full faith and credit clause that we have in the Constitution ultimately does not apply in this area. Because think about this again. You've up until now said that if, for example, I was married in the state of Oregon, but when I moved to Texas, I didn't have to get remarried. That's where you have each state giving full faith and credit to the other state. But when you come to marriage, you know, you're married in Massachusetts, but you're not married in Texas. It doesn't work. Mm-hmm. So sooner or later, there's going to have to be a decision. And I believe that the Supreme Court, if it were to consider this right now, might rule in favor of same-sex marriage. But then could they force states like Texas or other states like Alabama? And in the back of my book, I've got a list of the states that have passed Defensive Marriage Act kind of constitutional amendments to actually accept that. And so that's where the big question mark is in the future. The people, I think, that are reacting to this are those who are maybe giving up on the political side of it and maybe even the cultural side of it. But there's just simply a legal issue that needs to be resolved. And I don't think the Supreme Court's going to be able to ignore it for much longer. And once it does, we will be really interested to see what unfolds if indeed the Supreme Court decides to redefine marriage. And if it does, then the big question is, what do you define it as? As I say to many of my listeners, okay, if you don't like the definition of marriage, one man and one woman, give me your definition. And I've never heard a good one, because as soon as you say, well, it can be two men or two women, well, why can't it be three men? Why can't it be three women? Why can't it be one man and five women? Mm. You know, you immediately redefine marriage, and marriage ultimately Mm. means Mm. absolutely nothing at all. Well, Kirby, as we bring this show to a close, give us some advice as to what Christians must do if we hope to turn the tide of this battle here. Well, the first thing is that part of the reason there has been such a success, I would say, of homosexuality is because we've seen the breakdown of marriage. And I even have one particular chapter in the book which talks about the benefits of traditional marriage. So you might sit here and say, I'm not really going to get that politically involved in this issue. I might express my opinion to somebody, but what can I do? Well, I can have a strong marriage. That's the first thing. It seems to me that that could be very important. Number two, it seems to me that uh, you should at least be praying about this, and I think you should also be aware of who you elect to the state legislature, who you actually elect to Congress and who you elect to the presidency and how he or she stands on these issues of marriage. Because again, pro-life and pro-family issues continually be important issues for us even in the 21st century. There were some that were, I think, predicting that eventually people wouldn't care about abortion because after the legalization of abortion in 1973, Uh, You'd have a whole generation that would grow up and think that abortion should be legal, and that would be the end of that decision. 
Mm -hmm. Now it's perhaps as contentious as it's ever been, and actually the younger you are, the more likely you are to be pro-life. Same thing with marriage. I think there were some people that thought that once you had same-sex marriage legalized in Massachusetts, it would just spread like wildfire all over the country, and every uh, state legislature sooner or later would accept same-sex marriage. hasn't necessarily turned out to be the case, and if anything, there's been quite a bit of a pushback, and the appendix in the back of my book gives you a list of all the states that have actually passed constitutional amendments defining marriage between one man and one woman. So I think we can see that the battle is there. It should be engaged. We should be aware of how individuals vote on the issue. We should pray about that. But most importantly, I think, coming back to my first premise, we should build strong marriages and establish that as a positive example for the watching world. And Kirby, you've given us some great information. Uh, where are some other places we can find some good information on this whole topic? Well, again, you mentioned our website, probe.org, and my book uh, certainly uh, is part of that. I also host a show called Point of View, which is pointofview.net, in case you want to get some of those articles or even order the book, uh, a biblical point of view on homosexuality. And then I would highly encourage every one of our listeners to connect up with the family policy group in your particular state. Uh, you have a very good one there in the state of Hawaii. We have a very good one in the state of Texas, but you can go to... Uh, uh, family.org, which is focused on the family's website, and then go to their citizen link, and it has a map that gives you the states, and you can click on your particular state and find your family policy group. They are most likely dealing with some of these pro-life, pro-family issues, and that uh, would be a way that you could be involved at the statewide level. And I do believe that a lot of the battle is going to be taking place at these state legislatures, as well as, of course, the battles that will take place at the federal level in Congress and even with the president. Mm -hmm. You've been listening to Kirby Anderson, the National Director of Probe Ministries. You can listen to this full interview at evidenceandanswers.org and other interviews we've done with Kirby on numerous topics uh, and current issues of our time, also at evidenceandanswers.org. And uh, we encourage you to pick up Kirby's book, A Biblical Point of View on Homosexuality. It will certainly answer a lot of questions, and this is uh, definitely a worthwhile investment for Christians out there that have questions. Uh, we know that friends and family, we have them in our lives that may be looking at this alternative lifestyle. This will definitely answer a lot of questions. Again, thank you, Kirby, for being on the show right here on behalf of Evidence and Answers. I'm Tony Solis, and with your host, Pat Zucaran, we wish you aloha, and we'll see you next week.